my wife and I, Hillary and I, we coach a volleyball team. I said that the last time. I've taught here one other time, and, and I said that then. Uh, but I say it again because it's on my mind. We just had a tournament yesterday. And it's a girls' team. They're 16-year-olds, which poses its own interesting issues, you know, for a guy that doesn't have children yet. And now I skip to 16-year-olds and the, the things that they wear and the things that they talk about and, and how they want to engage on cell phone chats with my wife all the time. It's just it's this interesting, fun dynamic, right? And so we're coaching these girls, and it is a lot of fun. Tournament all day yesterday in San Diego. And uh, we, as we're coaching, we try to teach not just volleyball but a little bit about life and some unexpected ways of of thinking about their life and for instance before the final third match in the afternoon and the girls have been sitting for a while some coaches they go and they say hey get outside and run and kind of get warmed up kind of get your blood flowing again and and run and they kind of boss them around uh, my wife Hillary gets them in a circle and they do the hokey pokey you put your right foot in, you put your right foot, right? And so there's this big spectacle in the gymnasium, and parents are watching, and the other teams are getting ready, and we're doing the hokey pokey uh, right here. But it helps them to not take themselves or volleyball too seriously, and they still get warmed up, and it's a good thing. Also, first match, first game of the first match yesterday morning, uh, we're losing, and it's game point. And uh, my setter sets our best player who's in the middle, and it goes over her head, and she misses it, and the ball hits the ground, and we lose the game. And middle, our best player, turns to the setter and yells at her. He says, you can't. I couldn't even get that. It was a terrible set. And then the setter yells back at the middle blocker. And it's, this, it's just this thing, and I see it, and they walk off. And so unexpected, maybe coaching moment, uh, I pull our best player for the next game. It's a game we have to win. I know that. We're trying to move on. But I sit her on the bench, and I just go up to her, and I say, hey, we can't have that. That's not the way we do things. When you yell at her, we get tense. We don't play well. Uh, and so she is shocked, and my team is shocked. Fortunately, we win the game. We win the third game, and, and they get it. That it's more, some things are more important than this. There's chemistry. Uh, we play better when, we, when we're loose. So we're always teaching these somewhat kind of, unexpected counter-cultural things, even in the silly context of girls' volleyball and 16-year-olds learning about life. And I was thinking about that because we, without even knowing it, there is a current of understanding. There is a current in our culture that is just the way things are. And if we're not careful, we begin to think like the rest of the people around us. We begin to operate in the same manner that they do. We begin to speak like that. We begin to go for the things that they go for. We begin to go for the things that the world values. There is this current that we can just so easily get caught up in and not know it's happening. But our opportunity is to be a counter-cultural people. And we're going to talk about something today that is so ridiculous, so upside down, so counterintuitive and countercultural that it's literally mind-blowing. It, it revolutionized all of history 2,000 years ago. And still today, we talk about it, we think about it, we're progressing in these next, next two weeks toward it. It still changes everything. And uh, the, the interesting thing is that there's two ways. If you have your outlines, you can, you can kind of track along on parts of this here. There are, there are a couple of ways that our culture still operates. The, the, old, the old way, even the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, the old way was this kind of 
fairness mentality, this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that was the acceptable way of living in that day. This fairness, this justice, this someone does something to me, I get to do it back to them, and then we're square, and then we're even. And we still have that, don't we? We still think in terms of fairness and making it right. And they did this, so I get to make it right and do it this way. But even then, even though the Old Testament said, hey, that's acceptable, even though God allowed that and said eye for eye, tooth for tooth, that'll be acceptable for a time, when Jesus came, this guy, who we believe was God in skin, when he came and walked this earth, he said, okay, you heard it said. Hey, let's just read this verse. Matthew 5, 38 and 39. It says, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You have heard it said that this is acceptable. But I tell you, there is something even better. There is something that doesn't make any sense to you on the surface, people in this era, because you have all bought into this eye for eye, tooth for a tooth, and that is acceptable. And yet, I tell you, there is something even cooler. There is something that's even more ultimate. There's something that's even better than that. And so that's the old way. And then, and then even today, you look at today, and while we say fairness, yeah, we're still bought into that topic, there's, there's an even more pervasive, there's even more influential way today, and that's the pursuit of power. That's the pursuit of the upper hand. And this culture, right, we are so obsessed with how to get the next position, how to get to the next place. How can we elevate our status above other people? How can we take this next rank? How can we uh, advance our placement? We're testing, we're getting grades, we're moving up, we're trying to quantify our value by the income that we make. It's all about power and position and rank and how we move up and down, how we're placed, how we see ourselves, how others see us. And these are worldly regulators and designations that when Jesus walked this face of the earth, he flipped those upside down. And he offers us the same opportunity. If you, if you were to look at your Bible, if you have your Bible here, you can just kind of glance at it. Take Matthew, for example, one, one of the Gospels that talks about Jesus' life. Matthew, the first 20 chapters are all about Jesus growing up, being born, his life and his ministry. It, it spans a 33-year time, right? And it summarizes it in 20 chapters. And then there's eight chapters, 20 and 8 chapters, that talk just about the last few days of his life. What does that tell you? There's something there that God wants us to get. There is something about these last days that we're even coming up to right now as we lead up to Easter. There is something about this time of year, there's something about those last days of Jesus' life that are really critical, that he doesn't want us to miss. There is something about that. There is something about this, this idea, this journey to the cross. Think about the cross for a, for a second. The cross, the cross represented the most brutal, freakish, painful device that the Romans could possibly create, right, to kill somebody. And yet, it's the thing that we wear around our necks. It's the thing that we celebrate. It's the thing that represents, for people who follow Jesus, ultimate victory. It's the thing that represents everything that we believe in, and yet it's this torture device, right? It's, it's crazy when you think about it. It doesn't make sense. 
And so that's why if you, go, if you go to those few last chapters of Matthew, if you read that progression of Jesus' last days and his crucifixion resurrection, you see that it was so mind-blowing that, that the Jews and the, and the Greeks, they could not understand how this guy could possibly be, be the Messiah if he's going to be so crazy humiliated, beat to a pulp, skin ripped off his flesh, led through the streets buck naked, and hang on this tree, on this thing? This is your Messiah? It was crazy. And then that his followers would then start holding up crosses as a sign of their victory, it made no sense to the world. Are you with me? Do you see how it was just, it, it, they couldn't comprehend? This is your, you're celebrating this, your God died, and they're like, oh, oh yeah? This is the thing that you're going to celebrate? Yeah. This is the thing that you're going to hold up? As, yeah. This torture device, this is, this is our victory. This, this is the thing that we celebrate, this cross. Watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I think we have it on the screen. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the, for since the wisdom of God, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. This crucified Messiah, it doesn't make any sense. It looks like weakness, but it's actually the ultimate strength and victory. The wisdom of God, it looks like foolishness. Your Messiah would come and die, but it's actually the plan. It's actually as good as it gets. It's actually the climax of the story. It's actually the whole thing that this journey, this life has been building toward. Let's go on. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one could boast before him. He leveled the playing field. And it is because of him that you are in Christ, who has become wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, it is written, let anyone who boasts, boast in the Lord. The way of Christ is upside down to this world. The wisdom of God trumps the wisdom of this world. It makes it silly. Let's, let's dig into this just a little bit more. Look, look, at, look at this journey of this Jesus, this, this, this God who came in flesh. Look at what happened to this guy. Do we have this slide? He was questioned 
I mean, just sit with this craziness for a second, okay? When we really start to look and go toward Easter, it becomes Easter eggs and bunnies and things like that, and, and, and those are nice. But this is the reality of, this, of what this guy did. He was questioned. He was betrayed. He was deserted, denied, spit on, struck on the face, slapped, mocked, stripped naked, insulted, beaten, lied about, falsely accused, convicted, condemned, crucified, humiliated, scorned, pierced, bruised, rejected, hated, stared at, left naked in public to die. This is the story of the Messiah. The world said to his followers, this is the story of your God. This, this is who you believe is your savior, the savior of mankind that you want us to worship. This is your hope. This is what you allowed. And we say yes. And the crazy thing, the reason why all that time was spent in Matthew talking about Jesus leading up to his death and dying is because his whole life pointed toward amazing things, signs, wonders. These last few days were the most mind-blowing. How he responded to that brutality, to that crucifixion, to that death is what changed everything. Years later, Peter wrote about it. And he said this, this is First Peter chapter 2. But how is it to your credit? He would be talking to us. How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? That's normal, right? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found on his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. Circle retaliate. It's in your notes. When he suffered, he made no threats. You can underline or circle no threats. Instead, he did not retaliate. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. He did not retaliate. He did not make threats. He just trusted. And in doing so, he took the best that the world had. He, the worst of what the world had. The best that they could do, right? He took that on in his body and died. Have you, you know, there's this thing in sports where you, this, let's say it's this um, defensive and, and he's coming and he's hitting the, the quarterback and he's got his blind side and he just takes him out as hard as he can possibly hit him. What's the worst thing that can happen to this offensive end? The quarterback pops up and says, is that all you got? Right? Or to go back to the volleyball example, if you play volleyball and you just get up and you, you have this perfect set and you just crush it as hard as you can possibly hit it. And there's this little person over there in the back of the court that just kind of pops it back up with his, with his hands and just says, is that it? Is that all you got? Jesus took, Jesus took the very worst that the world had to offer. Took it on himself. Died. Took death by the jugular and was like, is that all? So that. So that. Whatever it is that you find yourself going through today. Wherever you find yourself. In the up and the down. If you are being betrayed. If you have been abused, if you have been laid off, if we have been rejected, divorced, left behind, that he says, 
this is not the end. What seems like death might not be death. What seems like loss might actually not be loss. What seems like the worst circumstance imaginable may be the working out of good. What's, what was his public humiliation, he converted into the sign that represents all hope for mankind. Colossians 2.15 says, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Triumphing over them. Think about the humiliation just of being God and then being born as a human being. <laughs> humiliation number one. God stuck in flesh. And then to be led by his creation, brutally killed, led through the streets naked and hung on a cross, the sign of curse, the worst thing that in that time could have happened to a person. He endured. Accepted death, took it in his body for our sake and says, this is triumph. Now, this cross-shaped life, we can live. That we flip the script on what the world says, this is how we should look at things. And we look through the lens of the cross and say, maybe, maybe that's not really the worst thing. Maybe this doesn't mean what I thought it means. And even in the worst of circumstances that could possibly happen to us, we could, with a cross-shaped vision, say maybe this death is actually leading to new life because the cross is the boast that the world doesn't have the last word, that there is still more to be written. I, I, this week I had, uh, my wife was asked to do a little video testimonial, and uh, and I thought, shoot, I'm teaching at Huntington Beach, and she's going to be here with me. She could, just, she could just share a little bit of this snippet live and in person. Uh, she hates doing this, hates public speaking, so this is a generous act on her behalf. So would you please welcome Hillary just to share a little bit about her story. <laughs> Hillary, tell us a little bit about your mom and how you grew up with your mom. Can you hear me? Everybody here? Is this on? I think so. We're good? Yeah. Um, well, I was um, always really, really close with my mom. She was kind of my best friend growing up. When my parents got divorced, I was about nine. So my brother went with my dad and I went with my mom. And I was really, really lucky in that sense. My dad's wonderful, but my mom is just this creative, smart, funny, just everybody's favorite person. She was so well-loved. Um, my whole life, I called her every day. I got home from school, I give her a call. Mom, what's, what am I going to eat for a snack? <laughs> and when I got married, I just leaned on her. Mom, how do I do my, how do I file this? How do I make, how do I keep the house clean, you know? And then she called me. And she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. It was the worst call I could have fathomed. She was my best friend, my everything, and I didn't know who I was going to trust. I'd only been married to him for three months, and to be honest, those three months weren't great. <laughs> so, 
so I moved home. Um, we were living in Arizona, and she was in Washington. So, I, ironically, Jeff Pinio, our, our friend, flew me up. He worked at um, Horizon at the time, and I took care of my mom till the last day that she lived, and I couldn't fathom. I remember driving home from the hospital, just wailing, and these noises that came out of me just seemed like unhumanly. It was the worst thing imaginable for me. I couldn't have fathomed losing anybody I loved more. Oh, it was, yeah. it was by far the worst thing. And, yeah. and then she passed, and I just remember having this peace and just knowing that I didn't know how but I knew God was going to come through I knew I was going to be okay hmm. and it and it is it is okay it's not it's not the same but it is yeah so so then from that literal death that was so devastating then what what did you see transpire in these last few years um I've had lots of little mommy angels which are you know human flesh of, of moms and one of them is um, our beach neighbor. She's just fabulous. And I, um, her name's Janie. Um, and she's kind of showed up in a couple of ways that are just so clear that God has provided a mother for me in human flesh, that God has provided somebody for me to feel that motherly love, which is indescribable because it's not just this woman who cares for me in the human flesh, but I know that my heavenly father sent her here for me. Um, one of the times I, um, you know, after my mom passed, my stepdad gave me a week to pack up her things during her birthday and Christmas, and I didn't know what I was doing. I just shoved everything in a box that she'd ever touched and didn't look at it again. And before we were moving down here, Caleb was already down here, so I had the, the job of going through all this stuff. And I didn't know what half of the stuff was. I couldn't decipher if it was valuable or not. And I just was so overwhelmed. I was crying on the floor of our house. And I just went for a run. And I just said a simple prayer. God, can you just bring someone to me? Because I don't even know who to ask to come through, look through this stuff with me. Who's going to know what's valuable? Who's going to know what I need? And when I got home, Janie e emailed me saying, I just thought maybe you might need some help. Could I come by tomorrow and help you go through some of your mother's things? And that's just one of the examples, and she just conti continues to do that. And there's other women who have stepped in that yeah. have provided that for me. And then even, even the irony of this latest gift that she's given to you, what, how has God used her in this last season? Um, Caleb and I have been trying to get pregnant this one, the fundraiser, yeah, yeah. for three years, um, unsuccessfully. And um, she called me on Valentine's Day and said that she would like to start a fundraiser for me and she'd like to contribute, and um, she made it so I didn't have to ask anybody. She just did this anonymous fundraiser that people could give to us, and I didn't ask for it. She just yeah. steps in like a mother would, but it's better than, um, granted, I would much prefer to have my mother, but it's better than the love that a mother would do because a mom does that because they love you. They're, you're their flesh and blood. She's doing it. Because God loves me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Ellie. I did. Yeah. <laughs> Even in literal death, God orchestrates new life. 
And the irony of the last part of that story, that was not a, a plug, by the way, for this fundraiser. Uh, the irony of that is that literally new life. She's trying to help us literally um, get pregnant and see a new life come. And so the, the opportunity that, that is before us is this whole new paradigm shift. If we see that the cross of Jesus Christ is this remarkable, ridiculous to the world, unexpected victory, and framed in the way as it played out, if we could have been there and seen it, we, just, we wouldn't have had any comprehension. It wouldn't make any sense, the brutality of that. If we see it as the unexpected victory that it is, it changes everything. It changes the way we look at everything. And loss could become gain, right? Death could actually be life. It flips everything upside down. And we have a tendency to have some kind of disappointment, some kind of unfulfilled expectation, like the disciples who are counting on this, this Jesus to be the Messiah and, and take them on this path toward greatness, or the Jews that thought he was going to overthrow the Roman government and liberate them. We have this unfulfilled expectation, this disappointing thing that happens in life, and then we just hang on to that. And we just see that as this scar, as this mark, as this, as this betrayal, as this thing that represents God not showing up. But what if? What if even that thing? What if even that thing is being made into good? What if even that worst situation is actually going to be brought to life? What if there is actually hope even in that place of despair? On the back of your outline, I ask us to reconsider power and positions and pursuits to reimagine victory and defeat to reframe our perspective in light of this cross-shaped view and to reclaim hope. And I ask you, even in this moment, if you have something to write with, if you don't, just imagine it. But write down, what is this thing? What is this perspective that needs tweaking? How have I gotten caught up in this current of thinking the way everyone else thinks when in reality, maybe this is completely different? Maybe this disappointment is not what I thought it was. Maybe this despair, this discouraging thing is actually leading to something much different. Take a second even right now in this silence and just write what you sense God might be telling you about how you have looked at some event, some thing, some aspect of your life and how it might actually be completely different than you've thought.
would you would you guys just stand with me? Whatever it is, relationship, unemployment, divorce, betrayal, maybe it's something that seems less significant, maybe it's something that seems much more significant and devastating. If you would just kind of metaphorically hold that out to God in this moment, just whatever it has been, if you have said, God, if you just wouldn't have let this happen, or God, if you just would have done this, or if God, if I could just see you do this, because this is what makes sense to me, if you would just let that go and say, maybe in this cross-shaped universe with the cross-shaped vision, maybe, maybe you are working something for a miracle in this, and I don't even get it yet. Can we just pray? that in our souls and in our hearts right now and just offer this back to God as we sing.